Acts chapter 2, we've made our way to verse 42, and we've seen in the last couple of weeks, we've talked about the birth of the early church. And we saw where um, the Holy Spirit fell, and a crowd gathered, and Peter preaches, and 3,000 people end up giving their lives to the Lord. And that's where we're picking up the story here in verse 42. It says, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayers. And then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. And now all who believed were together and had all things in common, and sold their possessions and goods, and divided them among all as anyone had need. And so continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for this picture that you have given us here in the book of Acts, of the early church. And Lord, we are touched as we have seen and we're seeing that you did something to them and you did something in them, that you might do something through them. And Lord, we realize that if we are to be the church today, the followers of Jesus today living in this broken world, we need for you to do something to us and in us that you might be able to do something through us. And so today we just yield ourselves to the teaching of your word. We ask God that your Holy Spirit would speak to our hearts, that you would teach us, instruct us, and and do a work in us today, God. And we give you this time in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to ask you a question. What comes to your mind when you hear the word devoted? How would you describe that word? What does it mean to be devoted? I think one of the things that comes to my mind is it's, it's making something a priority. Something or someone that I'm devoted to is they're going to have a priority in my life. I think the, the term committed those who are, you know, committed, they're devoted to their sport or they're devoted to their craft or they're devoted to, you know, a, a person. It's being, I think this is a key word, being intentional about the way that you approach life and approach whatever it is that you are doing. I don't usually do this on a Sunday, but I, I wanted, I thought this was such a a good picture of devotion and somebody who was devoted to something. And so I'm going to show a very, very quick video of a guy by the name of Alex Hanold. And I just want you to check this out and, and see what this guy is about. The famed El Capitan, a 3,200-foot wall of granite in Yosemite. It's nearly impossible to scale with safety equipment, let alone with none. That young man in a red shirt, that's Alex Hanold of Sacramento. You've met him right here before. He has been perfecting that climb without a rope for a decade. He uses only his bare hands and his feet to ascend. In just three hours, 56 minutes, he became the first person ever to free solo El Capitan. At the time, he told us what he was thinking during the climb. I looked down, you know, from time to time, enjoyed the view. I was mostly looking up. I was pretty excited and I was charging pretty quickly and 
Um, I was just kind of climbing ahead. The story of Alex's historic climb was filmed for more than two years by National Geographic, following him on his journey, how he did it, and those around him who supported him. So that's what I would call being all in, right? I mean, this guy is all in. I'd say that, that's devoted. Some of you are saying that's not devoted, that's stupid, um, right? That's crazy. And, and maybe it is, but, you know, that guy, Alex Hanole, I mean, he's given himself, he's devoted himself to traveling around and climbing the, the biggest rocks that he possibly can. You know, I am 100% devoted to my wife of 36 years, Denise. I love her with all of my heart. And I am devoted, we are devoted to building and growing our relationship with one another. And so it takes priority in our lives. Well, today we are going to begin a discussion that's going to last over the next several weeks where we are going to be looking at what the early church was devoted to. In fact, I want you to look at verse 42 again and notice where it says, and they continued steadfastly. Everybody say steadfastly. I think it's interesting that in the Christian Standard Bible, it reads this way. It'll be on the screen. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to breaking of bread, and to prayer. And the New Living Translation, the ESV, the CSB, the NIV, they all translate that verse that way, that they devoted themselves. And what we see in these verses, that there were six things that the early church devoted themselves to. They devoted themselves to the apostles' doctrine or to the teaching of the Word of God. They devoted themselves to fellowship and building community. They devoted themselves to remembering the cross by partaking of communion. They devoted themselves to prayer. They devoted themselves to worship. And they devoted themselves to telling others about Jesus. These were six things that the people in the early church were radically intentional about. Six things that became a priority in their lives. And these are six things that had a huge impact upon them. In fact, I want you to notice verse 43 again. It says, and then fear came upon every soul. Now, what's interesting about that, I want to read that verse to you in in the CSB version, because it says this, and everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. And what's interesting, again, is the New Living Translation, the ESV, the CSB, they all translated in that way, where the New King James says, and they were filled with fear. All those other translations say, and they were filled with awe. In other words, they were awestruck. What was happening left them in awe. But I want you to notice that it says that they were filled with awe, and then it says, and many signs and wonders were done through the apostles. And I want you to, I want to leave that on the screen for a moment, that verse, because I think naturally we would think it would read this way. And many signs and wonders were done through the apostles, and everyone was filled with awe, right? That's how we would expect it to read. 
We would expect it to read that, that because of the signs and wonders, everybody was like, this is amazing, this is awesome. Look at all the miracles that God is doing. But that's not the way the Holy Spirit inspired Luke, who's writing the book of Acts, to put it in order. He puts it in order that they, everyone was filled with awe. And then he says, and many signs and wonders were done through the apostles. So the awe, the being awestruck that they're sensing and feeling was connected to something else. And so the question is, what was filling them with a sense of awe? And I want to suggest to you it was what they were devoting themselves to. That's what was filling them with a sense of awe. And I want you to understand the context of what was happening. This will help you, I think, understand this a little bit better. You see, reminder... What takes place on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, it happens there on that feast of Pentecost. And we've noted that the normal population of Jerusalem was like 30,000 people, but at Pentecost and Passover and Tabernacles, those three mandatory feasts that all the Jews were supposed to come from wherever they were living to come and celebrate, the population would swell to 150 to to 200,000 people. And we noted in the text before this that we've looked at the last couple of weeks, I think it's in, there in verses 8 through 10, that it talks about these people that came from all these different regions all over the Middle East. It lists there 16 different regions. And so all these people are coming And as they're there in Jerusalem, they hear one day the sound of this rushing mighty wind that we noted was like a roar, and it's coming from a house. And so picture this, in your neighborhood, suddenly there's a roar that's coming, and it's constant from a house, and all the neighbors are coming out of the houses, and they're coming from out of the stores, and they're going, where where is that coming from? And they make their way to the point where there's literally, picture this, like 3,000 people outside of this house, at least that. We know 3,000 people got saved. There might have been 5,000 people that were there. And then they hear... The 120 people in the house, in this upper room, suddenly speaking fluently all these different languages. These languages that are the languages of these 16 different areas and countries that all of these people have gathered into Jerusalem from, and they realize because of the accent that they're speaking with that, hey, these guys are Galileans, which means they're hillbillies, which means they're the, the unscholarly people, and they're scratching their heads going, how can this be? How is it that these hillbillies are suddenly fluent in all of these languages And then Peter gets up and he preaches to this crowd, this sermon, 3,000 people got saved, get saved. We looked at that last week. It's the first harvest crusade. And then something happens. And I want you to try to just put yourself in this story because now all of a sudden all these people that, that have just given their life to Jesus, they've just embraced Jesus now as the Messiah, they don't want to go home. They don't want to leave 
Pentecost ends and they are still staying there because Jesus is doing something in their lives. And so everybody who was from Jerusalem that got saved starts opening up their houses and people start coming and moving in to their houses. People are renting houses and suddenly the, this group of people are all living communally and they're sharing meals and they're sharing their homes. But this was radical for them. You got to catch the, 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 the weight of this because in turning to Jesus, they were turning their backs on so much. They were turning their backs on their religion and their tradition. They were turning their backs on Judaism, and in doing so, they would lose friends. In doing so, they would have family members that would be like, what is wrong with you who would not want to have anything to do with them anymore? Family members that were thinking, you've joined a cult, and I know that's happened to some of you, that when you became a Christian, you walked away from the religion that you were in to follow Jesus, and you had a lot of family members that were like, you, you, my, my cousin, my, my brother, my dad, whatever, he's, 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 I'm a freak. He's joined a cult. How many of you had that happen to you? Show of hands, several of you. And then you started losing friends as well. And for these guys, I mean, it would mean their following of Jesus would mean they were going to lose their jobs. They would be completely ostracized because of this decision to follow Jesus. Because following Jesus in the first century was not popular. You need to understand that. It was considered weird. In much the same way, following Jesus today in the 21st century is becoming not so popular either, and people look at us as being weird, but God was doing something in them, and God was doing something to them. In fact, look at verse 44. It says there that they had all things in common. And again, that is such an interesting statement, because the early church was made up of the following groups of people, people from all these different countries. There were Greeks and Romans and Judeans and Galileans. There were mountain people and valley people and hardworking farmers and rich landowners and winemakers. And there were people who had the most prestigious of pedigrees that were put together within that list of names. It mentions the Cretans, and we've noted on, on Tuesday or Wednesday nights at our Bible study, the Cretans had the reputation of being the worst type of human beings on the planet. And all of these people are being joined together. I mean, this is quite a gathering. And it says, and they had all things in common. And I ask you a question, really? Really? This group of people couldn't have been more different. They were different economically. Some were rich and some were poor. They were different politically, although they probably all were not very fond of Rome. They all had different ideas about how to take care of the problem. They looked different. All of them were of Jewish descent, but not all of them were from Jerusalem, but they were there in Jerusalem because of their Jewish descent. But they've, or these people had been born in different places where they've integrated into the culture, and so they look different, and they speak different, and they dress different. Some of them were single. Some of them were married. It's a group of people, of men and women of all different ages. My point is that there was a lot more that they didn't have in common than what they did have in common, but there was one thing that they had in common that trumped everything else that they didn't have in common, and that was their love and affection for a newfound Savior named Jesus. 
And so they were devoting themselves to him. They were devoting themselves to getting to know him and sharing in this newfound affection. It was Jesus who brought them together. And, you know, we're not sure how long this lasted. Most scholars believe that it was, you know, upwards of two to three years that they stayed together like this in Jerusalem until we get to Acts chapter 8, persecution hits, and suddenly they're dispersed and they go to all these different places. But they had all things in common, and God was doing this radical work, and it all started with this phrase that we see in verse 42, that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, and to fellowship, and breaking in bread, and prayers. They devoted themselves to the apostles' doctrine. What does that mean? That's what we want to look at today. The word doctrine means teaching. That they were meeting daily to be taught by the, the, the apostles. Several times a day. Meeting in the temple. Meeting from house to house. They just were, were meeting together. But here's the question. What was the doctrine of the apostles? What was it that they were teaching? Well, understand. The New Testament that we love so much and love to study, it wasn't written yet. The Gospels weren't written yet. Paul the Apostle, he hasn't been saved yet. He's going to write two-thirds of the New Testament. So obviously, they were learning from the Old Testament. But I have no doubt what in, in my mind that the apostles, what they were doing as they were taking them into the Old Testament is they were linking them to the passages in the Old Testament that spoke of Jesus. The Messiah who was going to come and suffer, that they was linking him to what what they had never even thought about before. They didn't understand passages like Isaiah 53 that talk about the suffering Messiah. And they're like, what is this about? Or Psalm 22 that speak and give this picture of the cross before crucifixion was even invented. And they're like, what is this talking about? And they're linking all of these passages because Jesus said, according to the writer of Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 10, verse Verse 7, Jesus said, in the volume of the book, it's written of me. This book, it's all about me. All these stories, all these pictures, all the, the festivals, all the sacrifices that they did, it all pointed to Jesus. And so they're connecting the dots for all of these people. And not only that, but they also were listening to and re- reiterating the teachings they heard from Jesus. Because for three and a half years, they followed Jesus, and Jesus was all about teaching the word. Jesus was was devoted as a person. He was devoted to the word of God. In fact, remember when Jesus was being tempted? He's out in the wilderness, and he's been fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, and the the devil comes and says, hey, I know you're hungry. See that stone? Doesn't that kind of look like a loaf of bread, that nice round stone? Why don't you turn it into a loaf of bread? And remember what Jesus said? He says, it is written, because that's how Jesus responded. He responds to temptation with the word. It is written that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. And he takes him to the word. And for three and a half years, every day practically, they, they watch Jesus teach the scriptures. Bring them to the word of God. Bring application to the word of God. The gospels contain 76 different kingdom sayings of Jesus. He taught them what it looked like to be citizens in the kingdom of God and how citizens of God should conduct themselves in this world. 
And so the apostles were sharing these brand, to these brand new followers the things that they heard that Jesus had shared with them. And these new followers of Jesus, they couldn't get enough. And so they're meeting every day, several times a day. They're just hungry. Do you remember what it felt like to be that way? Where you just couldn't get enough. Maybe when you first got saved and it was like this Jesus thing was so new and the Bible was just coming alive and you just couldn't get enough of it. I remember during the Jesus people movement of the 1970s and and 80s that how midweek Bible studies at churches all over Southern California, it wasn't just Calvary Chapel, it was all over Southern California, midweek Bible studies would be packed. Hundreds of thousands of people gathered together to learn and study the word of God. And get this, when I was in high school, There were no practices. I want you to think about this. There were no practices and there were no games scheduled on Wednesday nights. It was like the whole school district knew that's a church night. That's set aside for church and youth groups and that type of thing. I mean, it was was amazing. It It was incredible. I mean, imagine that. Nothing scheduled on Wednesdays because those, that night was sacred and set apart. It was inbred into our culture and everybody knew it. Today, nothing sacred. We have youth stuff every single night of the week, including on Sunday mornings. It's crazy how far we've come. Remember when Jesus was telling the parable of the sower? He says, a farmer went out to sow seed. And he said, now the seed represents the word of God. And he sowed the seed, first of all, on a hard path. And the hard path, it represents the hard heart. It's the the heart that's so hard, the word of God can't even penetrate through it. And then he said, the, the farmer went and he sowed seed among the stony ground. And the stony ground represents the shallow heart. It's the heart where the word can, can get you know, through the surface of the ground, but because of all the stones, because it's a shallow soil, it springs up right away, and it looks like fruit. It speaks of that person who's having like an emotional reaction to the word of God, like, oh, I want God to do that in my life. But the minute he said things get hard, they say, oh, never mind, this isn't for me. And then he talked about the seed that's sown amongst the thorny ground. And in the thorny ground, the seed, the word of God, it goes down, it takes root, it springs up, it sprouts, it's, it's, it's looking like it's going to be a, a plant that's going to bear forth fruit. But he says, but then the, the thorns, the weeds choke it to where it doesn't bear fruit. And Jesus described that as the distracted heart. The heart that is just so distracted by so many other things that the word of God never has the opportunity to take root in that person's heart. They believe in Jesus, but the word of God just doesn't have a chance to take root in their heart. And it gets just because it gets distracted by responsibilities and the cares of this life and the pursuit of other things. And you know what? I think that is a great description of this generation. People who know Jesus, 
but who are not growing in their relationship with Jesus because we're distracted by so many other things, normal things, good things, our jobs, the responsibilities, all the stuff we have on our plates, all the things that, that our kids you know, want to do and want to be involved in. There's so many things in this life that are pulling at our devotion that it can leave us distracted as people from the word of God. But that really shouldn't surprise us because the prophet Amos said that this would actually be a sign that you're in the last days when he says there would be a famine for the hearing of the word of God. A famine where people just are, are not so much interested anymore because they're too distracted to get into the word of God. You know, something interesting about that guy Alex Hanold is that he lives in a van. That's how he chooses to live. And, and it's that choice in his life that allows him to be devoted, to be all in as it relates to rock climbing, because he just lives in his van, drives around from rock to rock. I'm not sure how he you know, makes a living for himself. He probably has some supporters or whatever, but, but he just keeps it simple. Now, I'm not at all suggesting that we all sell our house and buy vans and, you know, do the van life. That's not what I'm saying at all, okay? Not what I'm saying. But I wonder, I wonder if we did a little bit of soul searching today, a little bit of asking God to search our hearts. I wonder what might be in our lives that is distracting us from seeking Jesus with all of our hearts of seeking Jesus above everything else. What might be in our lives that is keeping us from being people who are devoted to the Word of God? I think it's an interesting question for us to ponder today. So the first thing we want to note here about the early church is that they were devoted to the Word of God. They were devoted to taking in the apostles' teaching. And listen, a church that is devoted to the Word of God is going to make the teaching of the Word of God a priority in their gatherings. And we want to be that kind of church. That's why here at Calvary Vista, we place a preeminence on the teaching of God's word in all of our gatherings, that we give it a priority, not just here with the adults, but working all the way down from the young adults to the youth and all the way down to the kids, is that we want to have a preeminence, a priority on being devoted in our gatherings to the teaching of the word of God, which is why 90% of the time we are teaching expositionally through the Word of God. Expositionally means chapter by chapter, verse by verse. On Sunday mornings, 90% of the time, we're working our way, like we're doing right now, through books of the Bible. On Wednesday nights, we're committed to going through the whole Bible. Right now, we're in the New Testament, in the book of Titus, but we're going all the way through. Nothing skipped, nothing avoided, nothing left out. Why do we do that? Why is teaching expositionally and teaching through the Word of God part of our DNA here at Calvary Vista? Well, it comes from something that Paul the Apostle said in Acts chapter 20. In Acts chapter 20, Paul's meeting with the, the pastors and leaders of the church in Ephesus. 
And he says to them, in the three years that I was with you, I was faithful to give to you the whole counsel of the word of God. Paul was faithful in taking them through and presenting to them the key doctrines of the faith. He didn't have his hobby horses that he focused on. And so we believe that a church that is committed to to giving people the whole counsel of God is going to be a church that is teaching the Bible, listen to me, teaching the Bible and not just from the Bible. Now, there are many churches today where the focus in those churches is doing throughout the year, various topical series. And I want you to hear me. Hear me. I'm not saying that I think that is wrong. I'm not saying that that is wrong. In fact, I think that is a very effective way in growing your church numerically, is to focus on topical series like that, because what you're doing is you're focusing on all the hot-button topics, All the things that are really piquing people's interest. Things that they're thinking about. And the church, we need to be speaking about those type of things. And in many churches that follow a topical teaching type of series and formula, in these series, there's certain series that they're just going to hit on every single year. They might repackage it, rename it, but it's sort of the same thing. And so there's always going to be a series on like improving yourself helping you to become a better follower of Jesus. There's always going to be a teaching or a series on stewardship, what it looks like to give financially and have your finances in order as a Christian. There's always going to be a series on marriage and, and relationships. They might include it broader relationships to include the singles and talk about dating. There's always going to be a series on stress and anxiety because people in America are totally stressed out 90% of the time. So there's always going to be those series. In the last couple of years, it's been really, really popular to have a series that deals with political issues and, and, and what the church is supposed to look like as it relates to that. And then this one, I really don't understand, I have to be honest. It's a series, a lot of churches do this one, on movies, where they literally show movie clips and then they point out biblical principles that go along with the movies and they serve popcorn and all of that on Sundays. And I'm not kidding you. I'm not kidding you. This is happening. I don't get that one. I'm sure it's awesome for drawing in unchurched people and hopefully they're getting saved, but I don't get that one. I'm sorry. But most of the churches that follow you know, that topical series are going to hit on those five or six and maybe a couple others throughout the course of a year, a year and a half. And aside from the movie example, I think those are all great series. In fact, we might do like one of those type of series throughout the course of the year. But we're going to spend 90% of our time working through books of the Bible. And we believe that as we're doing that, we're going to hit on a lot of those different topics. And although that might not be the best way to grow a church numerically, we believe that it's the best way to grow people in the church, to make them bigger in their relationship with Jesus. And so we are unashamedly committed, devoted to teaching verse by verse through the Bible. And I hope you appreciate that. I know a lot of you do. In fact, I've had people tell me this. 
Many, many times I've had people come to me and say, you know, I just want you to know, I've learned more here in the last year about the Bible and Jesus than I did in my previous church in the last 10. And that blesses me. That blesses me when I hear that because we want to be a church that is devoted to teaching the word of God. But listen and hear my heart on this. It's not enough for us to just be a church in our gatherings that are devoted to the teaching of the word of God. We all need to be as individuals, people who are devoted to the word of God. Listen to Psalm chapter 1. In Psalm 1, this is what we're told. The psalmist writes, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. So in other words, he's not tied, he's not connecting himself to ungodly influences. Why? Because, verse 2, but his delight, everybody say delight is in the law of the Lord. It's in the word of God. And in his word, he meditates day and night. He's meditating. He's delighting in the word. He's meditating upon it. That's where he wants the the focus to be as it's coming from God's word. So what does it look like, though, to meditate upon the word of God? Let me ask you this question. Have you ever seen a cow eat the cud? You ever seen that? A video of that? I encourage you to go, go on YouTube today and watch a, a video of that because a cow has four compartments in its stomach. And so when a cow eats, it, it swallows and the food goes down through those various compartments, but any of the food that wasn't chewed all the way, it gets brought back up. I know that's gross right before lunch, but it gets brought back up. They call it the cud and they rechew it over and over and they swallow it again and they bring it back up again over and over again it's very slow and it's very methodical it's the opposite of like when my dog eats you know we put food down for our dog and he just like scarfs it in a matter of minutes and he's like okay i'm done let's play you know what are we gonna do now that's not how a cow eats a cow it's over and over, it's chewing slowly, you know, and it's just and over and over, bringing it back up over and over again. And that's what meditation looks like. It's bringing the word of God up over and over again in your heart, where you're reading it and you're contemplating it over and over again. It's one of the reasons why we emphasize so much and we talk so much here about journaling, Because we found that to be so incredibly important for us if we're going to meditate upon the word of God that we read it and then we're writing down what God is speaking to us and then we're bringing it up again over and over again throughout the day. So it doesn't just stay in our head, but it gets into our heart. Right now in my devotional life, I'm reading the book of Luke and the books of Proverbs. And I use what's called a CSB scripture journal. We actually have a picture of it. And um, I love these. These are little books, uh, individual books of different books of the Bible. You can get on Amazon. And it has the scripture on one side, and then it has places where you can write on the other side. And the model that they use is that you read, reflect, and then respond. And so as I'm reading, I'm reading the passage, and then I'm reflecting on it. 
I'm looking at it and I'm writing down, you know, the things that I think are interesting and then I'm responding and I, and I take that page and I divide it in that way, the, re, the, the reflecting and the responding and what is God saying to me? What is he speaking to my heart? What does he want me to do? What are the things I need to be praying about? And then that little, you know, scripture notebook is like this big and I just put it in my backpack and I take it with me throughout the day and at various parts of the day because I don't know about you, I can read in the morning at 6 a.m. when I have my devotions and then by 9, I've completely forgotten what I've read. There's so many things that are just happening in my life and coming my way that I'm like, what did I read this morning? Oh, I got to bring that back up again, just like the cow. I'm bringing it back up again. I'm chewing it on it again. In our youth ministry, they use the soap journaling method. This is what they're teaching your kids. And the soap journaling method, it's scripture, that's the reading. Observation, that's the reflection. There's application and prayer. And they follow that model. Others in our church are using the one-year Bible. And in the one-year Bible, they follow the inductive Bible study method where it's observation, interpretation, and application. I know there's some people in our, in our church that have a harder time reading, that they just, they're more audio learners. And so it's so great today. We haven't, you know, get the version app and it's just, you can listen to the Bible being read to you by these awesome voices and, uh, you know, in different accents and they read it to you and you can listen to that and you can take that in and reflect upon it and re- respond to it and write down in a, in a journal what God's speaking to you or record it into your phone that you can bring it it back later. The point is, is find a method that works for you so that you can devote yourself to meditating upon the word of God. Because here's the promise, the promise that Psalm 1 gives us in verse 3. To those who devote themselves to meditating on the word, it says this, and they are like trees planted along the riverbank, bearing fruit in each season, and their leaves never, never wither, and they prosper in all that they do. You know, we go through all these different seasons and difficulties, like Shane was talking about in life. But the people who devote themselves to meditating upon the word of God, they're going to find themselves in no matter what season they're in. They're not going to wither. They're going to find themselves growing. They're going to find themselves being fruitful. In fact, the Lord gave a similar promise to Joshua in Joshua 1, chapter 8, when he said this, study this book of instruction continually. Meditate on it day and night so that you will be sure to obey everything written in it. Only then will you prosper and succeed in all that you do. And that verse gives us a little more of an insight into meditation, that it's not just thinking about and contemplating, but it's obedience. It's responding to what God is saying, and how do I incorporate this into my life? I'll close with this. Remember Jesus told the parable of the builders, the two guys building houses, both down by the beach? He said there was a foolish guy who built his house on the sand. No foundation, in other words. And so when the storm came, because the storms always come, and it beat on that house, it didn't stand because it didn't have a firm foundation. And Jesus said, the foolish builder is the one who hears my words, goes into his ears, but he doesn't do anything about it. He doesn't respond to it. He doesn't obey it. And that's like a man who builds his house 
on the sand. But then he said there's a wise builder. The wise builder is the one who builds his house on the rock. So that when the storms come building or crashing against his house and his life and his marriage, it stands because it's founded on the rock. And Jesus said that the one who builds his house on the rock is the one who hears my word and he puts it into practice. He makes it a part of his life. Jesus said that person, that man, that woman, that's the wise builder. So that in sunshine and in the storms, the result is the same, that there is fruit and there's vibrancy and they stand and they don't crumble. And I want us all, including myself, to be those kinds of people. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this picture that we have today of the early church how they were devoted to your word. Teaching it, studying it, obeying it, following it, allowing it to shape their lives. Lord, we want to be those kind of people. Lord, we want to be that type of church. And I want us just to keep our eyes closed, our heads bowed, and just remain right now in an attitude of prayer. And I want you just to think for a moment. What would happen if all of us said, we're going to be people devoted to the Word? You know, Paul said in Romans chapter 12, don't let this world squeeze you into its mold. Don't be conformed to this world, but instead be transformed by the renewing of your mind. How's our mind renewed? As we devote ourselves to the word of God. So what would happen as we devoted ourselves to the word as individuals and as a church to form our opinions on the word, not some ideology, not some political persuasion, not our own opinions, of what's right and wrong? What would happen if our marriages, in our marriages, we said, we're going to stop responding to our feelings and we're going to respond and submit ourselves to what the Word of God says. And as a couple, a married couple, we're going to talk about it and we're going to pray about it and we're going to see how we can live this out in our marriage relationship. What would happen if we tied everything going on in our lives to the Word? where we asked ourselves, what does Jesus think about this? What does Jesus say about this? What would happen if if the heart and the word of Jesus was the basis of all of our conversations with one another? The focus of our conversations. Well, here's what might happen. We would suddenly realize that we have all things in common. That we have a lot more in common with each other than what we don't have in common. I think barriers would collapse. I think walls would come down. And I think there would be a contagious attraction that people outside of the faith would have as they look at us like there's something different about those people. And the way that they love each other and the way that they care for one another and the way that they just seem to be together. And maybe that would be the start of our hearts being filled with awe. Of us being awestruck 
and just allowing the Word of God to change us and transform us and do that work in us. I think that could be the beginning of revival. Because that's what happens in revival. People become just in awe of God. And so right now, just Shane's going to lead us in a song, in a prayer. I want you to make this song your prayer. And I want you to ask yourself, what, what has you right now in your life? Is there something in your life that just has you distracted? What are the things that maybe have, that are always pulling at you? to not spend time in God's Word, to not seek Jesus through the study of the Scriptures. Can you, can we right now just say, Jesus, search my heart. Lord, I'm opening up myself to you. What maybe is going on in your life that Jesus has been saying to you for weeks now, maybe months, this is something I want you to do. This is, is a part of my word that you're not following and you need to. What has what he been speaking to you in your marriage? What would happen right now if you just said, Jesus, I, I'm going to quit resisting and I want to follow. I want us all right now, just for a few minutes before we close out this service, let's bring our hearts to the Lord. Let's ask him to search us. Let's be real with him today that this might maybe be the beginning of Jesus doing something to us and in us so that he can eventually do something through us. Let's bring our hearts to him right now, church.